0: Well, as we look to the word of the Lord today, we're going to continue on with our journey um, through the book of Genesis. If you're visiting with us, we've been going kind of a section by section section through Genesis. And and I heard somebody say, at this rate, we're going to be in it forever. Um, That's not the case. It's a big book. I know that. But, um, But I want to, and today's going to kind of be the example that in the beginning of Genesis, there's all this foundational stuff that gets laid down. And then once we get into the book of Genesis, what basically happens is we have stories of people. And we're going to look at one of those people today. We're going to look at Noah. And I thought it was appropriate this morning that it was pouring rain out. And I was kind of waiting for an ark to float by. Um, But we're going to look at Noah. And what you're going to find as we get into Genesis now is that some of these people, as we look kind of a character sketch of them and kind of draw some things out of their lives and their relationships with God that apply to us, is that sometimes we're going to cover very, very large portions of Scripture in one Sunday. Not that we'll read it all, but that we will cover maybe, you know, four or five or six or ten chapters just dealing with one person person and so we come to that today and and we're going to look at um the life of noah and i i you know it took a lot of time and and one thing i was remembering this week that is such a blessing for me as a pastor is that my job is looking at the word of god my job is praying my job is studying and um i was thinking today how what a privilege it was is i took basically almost two whole days out of my calendar this week just to think about noah the study and to study, and to read, and to pray, and, and to figure out, you know, what's this guy's life have to, to communicate to us? And, and I really think, as we look at that, as we look at this today, we're going to find out that there is something very worthwhile to look at. This isn't a history lesson. There's some really important, worthwhile things that, that we're going to get as we look into the life of Noah. And, and here's the main reason why. It's because the situation that he found himself in, in his day and age, is very similar to the culture and the world and the situation that we find ourselves in today. And that in that situation that Noah lived in such a way um, in that setting that it says that God took notice of him and that God selected him to be an avenue through which God would then save the entire human race, save all the animals and and all the rest of the things also that went on the ark, Um, that he saved everybody in this world that you and I are alive today because of God selecting Noah, seeing him in the midst of the world. And, and as I was thinking about that today, I, I thought, you know what? I really believe that in this room, that there's people who say, I want to be a Noah. That when I look at this, and I actually wrestled with this thought this week, I thought, when I read this, I say, God, I want to learn from Noah because I want to be a Noah. I want to be one that God looks down and, and says, there's a guy that I can use to change the world. And know, I was thinking about that, and I thought, does the average person sitting in the pew feel the same way? And if you don't, I want to challenge you today. Because I think most of you do. That that you say, God, I want you to do something great through me. I I want you to make me a Noah. That you would use me as an avenue of bringing the miracle power of God into the very real world. That you could be a Noah in your workplace. You could be a Noah in your family. You could be a Noah in your neighborhood. Where God would flow through you, you would be the avenue through which the power and presence of God would, would in, invest himself into the world and that you'd be different and the world would be different because of you. And when I thought about it, I thought, you know what, I do believe the people sitting in the pews of this church say, I want to be a Noah. And you know what? He did that in a time so much like ours. Sometimes we live in a world where we say, you know what, oh yeah, back then it was easier. You know, if I only lived in a simpler time. But you know what? Noah lived in a, in a rotten time. We're going to find out about that in a few minutes. That He lived in a rotten time. And I think this is what we can learn from Noah. I think we can learn a few things about how to live right in a wrong world. And that's what I really feel is kind of the, the heart we want to talk about today. How did Noah learn to live right in a wrong world? And as he lived right, God, God used him in a miraculous way. You know, that's so, it's just incredibly important for us. Because it's no news flash for me to say to you that we live in a messed up world. You know, as I was thinking about that this week, I was just reminded it was taken back to, to last Sunday service. And I don't mean to, to be sensational, but as I was thinking about our world, I was thinking of Pastor Bruce, what he shared with us last Sunday. And if you weren't here, Pastor Bruce shared with us that, that last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, I think it was, he and his family um, had the incredibly difficult thing of going to a funeral down in the central city of Milwaukee. They used to pastor down on Villard Villard Avenue in Milwaukee, which is kind of the heart of of where a lot of problems and crime are. And they went to a funeral of a young boy, 17 years old, who was doing nothing wrong, a good family. Pastor Bruce had the privilege of of dedicating that little boy to the Lord, had the privilege of baptizing him. And I think, as he told me, dedicating and baptizing other family members. This is a a family that served God in the central city. And the 17-year-old boy doing nothing wrong a week, or, little over a week ago, is robbed in the middle of the city, shot in the back as he tries to flee and dies in the middle of the street. And somebody would say, because we're suburbanites, most of us, and some of you are even a step beyond suburbanites, you live out in the boondocks. You know, I don't know if you know this, but Cedar Grove is the boondocks. It is. If you don't think it is, you've not been around very far. It's the boondocks. And we forget that we live in a safe little world here and that just a few miles down the road the world becomes very much more real and friends that's the world that we find ourselves in today a world where a a, a 17 year old boy can do absolutely nothing wrong walk down the street and some thug will walk up and blow him a hole in his back for a couple of bucks that was in his pocket and they already robbed him it's just a, a horrible violent world we live in and we live in a bubble sometimes and we forget it but I somehow want to jar that in our minds today that we live in a really bad world. And church, I want us to learn how to live for God in times like this. How do we live right in a wrong world? And really, Noah gives us some insight in how to do it. And, and, and lest you think, and I alluded to this a second ago, that that you could say, well, what can we really learn from him? Because the world's got worse and worse and worse and worse. Let me tell you something. His world was every bit or maybe even worse than ours, and he lived for God back then in such a way that God took notice, and I think that we can also. Let's look at the Word of God, how it describes Noah's world. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter six, the description of of Noah's world, starting in verse five of Genesis six, reading down to verse fourteen. Imagine, this is, this is God himself, through the, inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspiring someone to write what his perspective is on the world. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from, from, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his time, Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. And the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out. With pitch, and he goes on from there to begin to describe um, how Noah's going to build the ark and the bringing of the animals and the flood and the, the destruction of man. But think what it says here the reason we read this text is it talks about Noah's culture. That it says there's three words it uses to describe the culture of Noah's time it says it was a place of violence, it says it was a place of corruption, and it says it was a place of wickedness. And it was a place verse, where verse 5 describes it, and I think verse 5 describes the, the ultimate way God could describe how bad things could be. is when he says this in verse 5, that every intent, every intent of the thoughts of man was only evil continually. When God looked at man, he looked at the world, and friends understand, it's not better today that he looked at man and he said, every intent of the thoughts of man was only evil continually. That's the kind of person that will shoot a 17-year-old boy in the back to steal a couple dollars out of his pocket. It was so bad that the Lord said this. He said, I am sorry that I made man on the earth. And friends, when I think of that, it sounds an awful lot like our world today, doesn't it? A place of violence and corruption and wickedness. And what I want us to grasp today is that if Noah could live victoriously for God back then in a place that was so bad that God says that every intent of the thoughts of man was only evil continually, then you know what? You and I can live victoriously for God today. And that's my, my passion today is to try to give you some tools to help you live the kind of life that Noah lived in this world that's just as corrupt and just as evil. So what I want us to do is I want to kind of look at this man Noah and see how he lived in his days so that we can kind of have the same things in our lives or we can strive towards the same things in our lives that he had in his life. And the first thing and really the, the primary thing that I want us to zero in on today is something that you might say, well, that's, I wouldn't think that's the most important. But as I, as I waded through this, I really felt the Lord say, this is the key to why Noah lived the life he lived and the other people missed it. And it's this. It says this about Noah. It says a very simple statement. It says, Noah walked with God. It just says something so simple about Noah. It was the key. It's the key to Noah's life. It says, Noah walked with God. And this text just says it so simply. It just says he walked with God. But what does that really mean? You know, what's it mean for you or I or Noah to walk with God in the midst of a world that's gone crazy? Crazy. You know, the text says some things that we could maybe associate with it, what it meant to walk with God. It says what about him? It says that he was a righteous man. It says that he was a blameless man. And surely these things are important. And I would say most certainly these are things that come out of a life where one walks with God. But it doesn't really help us to see what walking with God is. You know, what does it mean when it says Noah walks with God? The text doesn't really tell us. Well, what's it mean? Well, I know what it probably can't mean. It probably can't mean that he just did religious stuff. The kind of stuff that we think about when we think about what's it mean to walk with God, when we think about what's it mean to be a person who's following after God. I think sometimes we look at the peripheral, we look at the the external, and I think somebody of his day would say, well, you know, I'm doing it right. Because they would say, well, you know, I try to worship, and we would put it in his terms, I go to church, and I give, and I I pray. And I don't think that can really be the definition of walking with God because I think there's lots of people who do that today and lots of people who probably did those things back then. But it doesn't say of them that they walk with God. In fact, when God looked at the whole world, he only picked one man out and said, that man walks with me. Somehow Noah was different. This idea of walking with God is something that over the last number of years I have spent countless hours trying to get my arms around, trying to get my head around how do we really walk with God? I can teach somebody and I can show myself, I can teach somebody how to study God's Word. I can teach somebody how to pray. I can show them how the Lord said, you know, here's how you pray. But how do we show somebody what it means to walk with God? And what I've been concluding that Noah figured out, and what I've been concluding as I've been wrestling with this for a lot of years, is it really, it really comes down to passion and priority. That walking with God comes down to a concept, and I'm going to explain that, of, of passion and priority. See, the scripture says something really clear. And it says something that's hard. To, it's so simple, and we say, well, that, it doesn't seem that easy. But well, the Lord talking about walking with him, talking about a relationship with him, says something so simple in the scripture. It says this, if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek Him, you will find Him. In other words, if you will seek after Him, you can find Him. If you find Him, you can walk with Him. So walking with Him has to do with something, friends. It's this. It's having a passion to be with Him that gives rise to a priority to seek Him before anything else. That walking with God stems from having a passion to be with Him That gives rise to a priority to seek Him before anything else. Walking with God is something, and it's not something we can define so clearly, so I'm trying to describe it. It's something that flows from the discovery that God really is better than anything else the world could offer. It flows out of this discovery, and I'm telling you this, it's a discovery that comes over time. That walking with God, I think, is something that develops. It's something that matures. It's something that's meant to mature. It's something that that begins to, to mature and develop and become real when we really begin to discover through some years of seeking after him and trying to find him, we begin to find that he really is better than anything else the world could offer. It's the realization that a single moment where we are keenly aware of his nearness is more valuable than silver or gold. It's a, it's, a, it's a recognition that as we celebrated communion today, and I can't describe it, and some of you describe it and experience it in other times and other ways, but as I stood here this morning, and I'm trying to go on and I sense the presence of God, and I don't want to even talk, and I'm wrestling in my mind saying, "God, let them all go by the go home or do something. I just want to be in your presence right now. I feel you. It's this understanding. It's just this realization that just that one moment where I know I'm in his presence and I'm just so keenly aware of his nearness that that's more valuable than anything else so that everything else will become secondary. That I'll do anything I can just to get into that spot where I feel his reality. I believe Noah understood that. He walked with God. I believe it's what Jesus was communicating when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. In other words, what's the most important? What's the most fulfilling of the commandments? And he said this, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And most of that's talking about something very internal. It's to love God. Have you you sat and pondered? If you haven't done this, take some time. Take a couple hours and get alone by yourself and think, what's it mean to love God and do I really do it? Do I really love God? What does it mean to, to love God with all of my heart and with all of my soul and with all of my mind and with all of my strength? What's that mean? I think that's what Jesus is communicating here. That to walk with him is somebody who has a passion that says, I want to do it with all of me, with every bit of me. I want to be, have this connection with God. Friends, this can't be external. It's not something out there. something in here. It can't even be achieved. And and as I I, I thought of that, I thought, what do I mean by it can't be achieved? What I mean is not that we can't reach a place where we walk with God, but rather that, that it's not something that we just can work hard for and attain. Rather, it's a hunger. It's a hunger within us. It's a hunger that is fueled by looking around at a world that becomes more and more meaningless every single year you live and desiring something better and knowing that the only thing that's better, the only thing that really satisfies is that connectivity with God. It's what the psalmist was describing in the text that we use for communion, where he says, My eyes are toward you, O God. He's saying, God, my eyes, I I can look around at all this stuff, but God, I live this life, my eyes are toward you. I just want to see you. There is some realization inside That truly knowing God more is really all that matters. And from that realization, walking out your days in the pursuit of the connection to God, it becomes your passion and it becomes your priority. Sometimes as we begin to walk with God, people think we're kind of weird. Because the things that we used to think were important suddenly are less important. Not that we don't enjoy the world, not that we don't en- enjoy other people, not that we don't enjoy other stuff, but somehow as we become consumed with a passion to walk with God, the other stuff begins to lose its grip. You understand what I mean by that? The other stuff of the world begins to lose its grip. It's the passion that drove an unknown hymn writer to pen the words to an old song. That was, I was thinking about this, this old hymn came to my mind. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Are you familiar with the old hymn, Just a Closer Walk With Thee? You know, I'm no singer at all. But think of the chorus of that song. Just a Closer Walk With Thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee, let it be. Dear Lord, let it be. That's the cry of a person who's crying out and saying, God, all the rest of this stuff in the world doesn't matter anymore. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. close to Thee." And he cries out, just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be. Dear Lord, let it be. Let like him is a cry. It's a prayer. It's somebody saying, Lord, I just want to walk with you. And friends, I believe Noah understood that. Noah lived as we see in this rotten world and he wanted no part of it. He didn't want to dabble in the world. He wasn't fooled by its false appeals. He traded it all for a walk with God. And friends, that's the starting place. That's the first thing that must happen in us if we are to live right in the wrong world. It all starts on the inside with a longing. One that if we seek Him, He will fill, He we will find Him. It's crying out from our heart, God, just a closer walk with Thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee, let it be, dear Lord. Let it be. It's his internal passion. You understand what I'm trying to communicate today? That's where it starts. And then as we have that passion that's that's saying, I'm hungering and thirsting for God, then from that internal passion to be with God, in Noah's life and in our life arises some external qualities that made him stand out from everyone else, qualities that you need to have and I need to have. And there's all kinds of them we could look at. We could look at the fact that, that it says he was righteous, it says he is blameless, but there's a quality I felt very directed to, to talk about today that maybe you didn't thought about when you thought about Noah in the past. And one that I think that if you're going to be a person who really has a passionate pursuit of God and you're really going to, to walk with God, where your eyes, your, your, your eyes are going to be turned toward God, and you're going to say, God, I don't, this stuff isn't that important anymore. I just want to get in that, in that moment with you that there's a quality that was in Noah's life that needs to be in ours and it's this that Noah was willing to stand alone that Noah was willing to stand alone and friends when you desire to walk with God in a fallen world often it will mean that you need to stand alone notice something in, this, in the story of Noah God didn't call a whole town to build an ark wouldn't that have been easier this ark is huge it's a freighter it's huge wouldn't it have been easier for God to, to call a whole county and say, hey, build this boat for me? It wouldn't have taken 100 plus years to do it. Wouldn't it have been easier? But that's not what God says in chapter 7, verse 1. God says this about Noah. He says, for you alone have I seen to be righteous before me in this time. He looks at the entire world. He's going to have him build an ark to save the humanity and save the animals. And he says, you alone have I seen to be righteous before me in this time friends you know what the wonderful thing about being part of a church family is that we are surrounded by others who love us and have the same passions as we but I want you to understand something we don't live at church isn't it great just to come together and celebrate and worship and be with people who think the same as you isn't it wonderful but you know what we don't live at church and it's not God's plan Sometimes we think it is God's plan for us to live at church. It's not. It's not God's plan for us to be isolated from our incredibly messed up world. It's not his plan at all. Matter of fact, he says in his word that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. He does not tell us to isolate ourselves from the messed up world. It would be easy to try to run away from it. But he doesn't tell us to run away from the world. He says we're to be in the world, but not not of it. So as ones who have a passion to walk with God, oftentimes we walk into situations where we are apparently the only one in the place who seems to have a heart for God. I don't know about you, have ever been in a workplace where you're convinced you're the only one who has an inkling of of a passion for God? Some of you maybe are in a situation in your family where you say, I'm all alone. No one else in my family seems to have a passion for God. You know what? Noah understood that and he stood alone. And there's a couple of things I want you to understand if you're, that, if you're saying, I'm willing to stand alone. I want that my walk with God may cause me to stand alone as I walk into the world. Yes, church is a, is a, is a wonderful, refreshing time. It's a, it's a shelter from the storm. But we don't live in church. So understand a few things about living for God in the real world. And sometimes we're afraid to try to live for God in the real world. Don't be afraid. We need to live for God in the real world. We don't hide our light under a bushel. We need to do it but understand a few things about living for God in the real world. And the first one is this. Often the people you rub shoulders with in the real world could not care less what you think about God. You're like, but don't you get it? He's everything. He's my all in all. And they look at you and they think you're a nut. Ever been there? I have. I spend a lot of my life working in the real world. You know, I've been a pastor for a while, but it's a third of my working career I've worked in the real world, you know, outside of this setting. And they look at you like you're a nut. They look at you and they want nothing to do with your God. In Noah's day, apparently nobody listened to Noah. In Second Peter, you know what, what how it describes Noah? It says this about him. He was a preacher of righteousness. Noah obviously was one who who taught God's way. He was a preacher of righteousness, yet no one except his immediate family listened to what he had to say. Now, even his immediate family, patriarchal society, I don't even know if they listened, but they had to get in a boat with him because he was dad. And he took his three sons and their wives and his wife, and he says, get on in the boat, it's going to begin to rain. No one listened to him. You know, we do need to tell other people about God and His love, and, and we need to understand often, though, that they just won't listen. They're just not ready. And you say, man, that's pretty discouraging. I'm not saying that to discourage you at all. Matter of fact, I'm just the opposite. I'm saying it to encourage you. You know why? Because if they didn't listen to Noah, it's okay if they don't listen to you. If they didn't listen to Noah, they might not listen to you. You're in good company. And you know what you can do? You can trust God. You can trust that God is doing His work and there may be one who's listening who's not responding. But they may not stand by your side and say, oh, I want to be counted in your number. They didn't listen to him. There's another thing that we need to understand that if you're willing to stand alone, you're willing to be a Noah, you're willing to say, God, I, I want to walk with you and I'm going to walk with you in a place where it's not very popular. Understand this. That being the what you feel maybe is being the only follower after Christ in an organization or in a family can sometimes get you feeling down. can sometimes get you feeling down and tired and you say, I just don't want to keep doing it. I don't want to go on. Friends, this is why I want to tell you it's okay to feel that way at times. I'm sure Noah had plenty of times where he felt all alone and left out. Can you imagine? This is a real guy in a real world. He's over here building a boat. It's never even rained. People have no idea what it is. God told me to build it. And here's everybody else in the whole world looking at him and they're, they're having a party over here. You're going to invite Noah? I'm not going to invite that nut. What are you going to invite him for? And he felt all alone. It's not unusual to feel alone. In 1 Kings it tells a story of a prophet named Elijah, somebody many of you are familiar with. And it says in, in 1 Kings 19 that Elijah tells a story of where Elijah had just defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. And he'd brought him, you know the story, maybe he'd brought him on the top of a mountain. And he said, let's see whose God is real. And he says, you go ahead and make your sacrifice. And they, they make their sacrifice and said, which God answers by fire? Fire from heaven will be the real God. And he says, well, begin to get your God to consume this thing with fire. And the, the prophets of Baal begin to beat themselves and cut themselves with, with knives and scream and yell. And he begins to taunt them well, maybe your God's on vacation. He said at one point, maybe your God's in the bathroom and he can't hear you. And he begins to taunt them. And after a while, they don't answer. So, no, so uh, Elijah comes and he sets up his sacrifice. And he pours water on it so that it couldn't be denied that it was God. And he prays to God. And fire comes and consumes and, and, and consumes a thing. And then he has all the prophets of Baal um, executed. And one of the great followers of Baal was the king's wife, Jezebel. And Jezebel hears what goes on, and she says, you will be dead by this time tomorrow. Remember what he does? He takes off, and he runs, and he flees. He just took on 450 prophets of Baal. And one woman says something, he takes off, and he runs. Now, I've never been in his spot, so I'm not going to criticize him, but it seems kind of odd. He takes off, and he runs, and he, hide, and he gets in the desert. And you know what, this is what he does in the desert place. He begins to cry out to God, and he says, God, he's so depressed walking with God, being the one who's always the, vo- the mouthpiece, that he says, I wish I could just die. And he's not being phony here. He says, God, just kill me now. He said, I just want to die. And God takes him from there and he says, now go to the mountain. I'm going to talk to you. And he finds out that God wasn't in the roaring wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. But God whispers in a still, small, small voice to him. And when he's on that mountaintop, and, he's, and God is taking, he's taking him through this time of where he's feeling all alone. This is, what he, this is what Elijah has to say to God. He says, God, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of, of hosts. you ever felt that way? You're looking to God and you say, God, I've been really zealous for you. Where are you? He says, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He cries it out to God. Elijah just expresses that he's tired of being alone. And friends, it's okay to feel that way. But understand something today. The same thing is true for Elijah. That's true for you, and it's this. God answered him. And God said this Elijah. Guess what? You're not alone. You're not alone. He says, Elijah, i got 7,000 other Israelites who have not bowed their knee to Baal. 7,000 other people in in this place who serve me. And friends, I want you to understand today, if you're going to make that step and say, I want to really walk with God, you are not alone. I want you to hear what I say. This is why, if we're going to live in the real world, it's so important to come together and have what we have today. Because when we live out there in the real world, sometimes we feel all alone, sometimes we feel empty, sometimes we feel discouraged. And God said, you know what, I want to build up your faith. And that's why he's created the community of the church. To come together and to worship and to praise so that we can be regenerated and renewed so we can go out there and we can continue to live for the Lord in the real world. And I want to say something about that today and and I hesitate to say it because number one, somebody's going to think I'm thinking of an individual and I'm not. And number two, because some of you just won't want to hear it and I don't really want to say it. But I'm going to. And it's this. I've been doing this for 20 years now as a pastor. And about this time every year, about another four weeks from now, I begin to get phone calls most years. Now, I'm not telling you not to call me at all. Or I begin to talk with people, and I begin to see that they feel down. They feel like Elijah. They're like, I'm all alone. It's just not working. It's not worth it serving God. And I begin to have these these encounters, and I started noticing after time, it always seems to happen in the fall. And I've come to a conclusion that I know why it happens. That because we believe a lie. This is a lie we believe. We believe that, you know what, I really do want to serve walk after God. I really do know that I need to be in the presence of God. And you live in a day-in, day-out world often where you are in a spot where you feel so very all alone. But then on the weekends, where normally you'd be getting your, your batteries recharged... You believe this lie from the world that if you just go to the lake, if you just go to the cabin, if you just go out in the woods, and you know me, I love the lake, the woods, and the cabin. I love them. You know? Uh, that if you just go there, you'll get your batteries recharged. And here's what I found out after years. It doesn't work. I would say it rarely works. Now some of you say, "But well, we have great family devotion. Okay, if you do, that's fine. And I'm not thinking of any person in particular. I'm walking down as I'm talking. <laughs> I'm just saying, after 20 years, no one's saying, you looked at me. After years of doing this, I've noticed that oftentimes I see Christians tend to feel discouraged in the fall. And the reason they do, because you, you walk out of it you say, I should be the happiest I've ever been. I should be the most energized. I should be closer to God than I've ever been. I've been just having this great time of fun and, and, and enjoying creation and enjoying God's goodness. But I feel empty, and I think this is one of the reasons why because we believe that all these other things can give us what we really need, and they can't. The only thing that gives us what we really need is that connectivity to God. And I really believe that being an integral part of a local church consistently is huge in our spiritual health and life. And so I just say that for this reason. You know, I I wrote in my notes, forgive me for stepping on your toes. (laughs) I just say it for this reason, not to be condemning. But to say this, if right now we're a month, month of summer left and you're starting to feel, you know what? I kind of feel like Elijah. I'm feeling that all aloneness. I'm feeling that emptiness. I'm just kind of saying to God, I wish I could just die. That if you're feeling that way, ask yourself, have I really been um, connecting into that place, this place, where I get my batteries recharged? Friends, it's normal to feel um, the pressure of being alone in the workplace. It's normal to feel that if you feel like you're all alone in your family and you don't have other believers around. And that's why it's so important to be part of a local family, a local church where you can just be connected in and get, you get that, that re- recharging that you need as you're celebrating communion together, as you're worshiping together, as you're loving on each other, as you're hugging one another, as you're being a blessing to each other. God recharges us so we can be like Noah in the world let's wrap up our time. You know what? The days we we're living in are a lot like Noah's days. Our world's just as messed up as his were. And I believe that God is calling us to follow the example of Noah, to walk with him, to, 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 to live lives of righteousness and, and holiness in a world where it's not normal, to passionately pursue him. And here's what I think happens. I think that God is still looking for people like that. So that he can flow through us. So that we can be an avenue of ministry into our world. That we, can be that we can be a Noah into our family. We can be a Noah into our workplace. We can be a Noah into our neighborhood. Where God's going to say, I'm going to bring um, salvation and restoration and, and healing into this group because of you. God wants to flow through you. I honestly believe it. And my thought is this. Isn't that what you really want? I believe it is. Would you stand with me this morning?